Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. We're in week four of this series, This Is Our God, where we're taking a look at the nature of the God that we serve, who he is, um, and what these names that he's been called by, what they represent, and um, how we can see God in, in his nature and in the characteristic of these names that he's called by. And we've looked at this verse every week, Psalm 910. It says that those who know your name, those who know your name, everyone say trust, those who know your name, trust in you, O Lord. Do not abandon those who search for you. And the most amazing thing about our God is, is he is not hidden, that when we search for him, Scripture says, with our whole heart, guess what he lets us do? He lets us find him. And it's kind of like, I remember when my kids were little and we'd play hide and seek, and, and I would hide in some of the most easiest places. But guess what? My kids couldn't find me. I would be in the shower, and they would come into the bathroom and go back out, and, and I'm like, how do they not see me? And a lot of times God is in the most obvious places and we don't see him. And what I would do is, and, and this was the most fun, I, I would make a noise when they would go back in the hallway and they would run up and down the hallway and I'd make, hey, you know, and, I, and, and they would be like, dad. And so they would come into the bathroom and I wouldn't say anything, but they still wouldn't look behind the shower curtain. And, and God is really not hidden we just need to look in the most obvious places for him. When you go in the bathroom, there's not many places to hide. It's, it's the shower, right, unless you have a closet. But God is really just right there, and we need to open our eyes to see him and experience him. And, and so this, this word know is the word yada. Everyone say yada, right? And it's, it's not just to know about, but it's to know intimately through experience. And we, we understand that we get to know God better the more we experience the ups and downs of life with him. And it says that the more Yahweh is known, the more that Yahweh is known, the more that he is trusted. And the more that Yahweh is trusted, the more he is sought to be trusted. And, and I'll repeat this for the next couple of weeks, that, that the more you know God, the more you're going to trust him. And the more that you trust him, it's, it's my hope as your pastor that you will put yourselves and allow God to, to take you on a journey to where you have no choice but to trust him more. And we want the stories of where we've trusted God in mighty ways, where God has shown up. We like to tell the stories of what he's done, but we don't like living through the doing. We don't like living through the moment where we're having to rely on him. We want to talk about it after it's over, but we can't talk about it until after it's over and we went through it. And so we're going to look at this, at this um, Genesis chapter 16. We're going to go there. And last week we looked at Abraham and, and God called Abraham to give Isaac back to him. And um, 
Abraham didn't waste any time and he surrendered fully. This, this son of the promise, this, this fulfillment of the gift that, that, that God gave through Isaac, that all the generations and all the descendants were supposed to come through Isaac and God says, give him back to me as a sacrifice and Abraham was, was submissive and surrendered to that and he come to know God as Jehovah Jireh because God provided the sacrifice instead of in, in Isaac's place. And so we're gonna back up to Genesis chapter 16 and look at before Isaac. We're gonna look at before Abraham was called Abraham, when, when he and his wife were still called Abram and Sarai, and he's about 85 years old at this point. And it's been 10 years since God has entered into a covenant with him. Abraham was 75 and God enters into a covenant and says that, that, that I will be your reward. I will give you offspring and I will give you many descendants. And it's, it's been 10 years that Abram has been waiting on this promise to be fulfilled. And how many of us know that if we've been waiting too long for something that we've asked for or too long for something that we want, what in our flesh do we tend to do? We try to do something to speed it up, to make it happen. And so we're gonna look at where Abraham and Sarai made it happen, literally. And so it says at the beginning of, of Genesis chapter 16 that, that Sarah had not yet been able to conceive and bear Abraham a child. It even says that God had not allowed it to happen. And so Sarah had this great plan and says, listen, um, I can't have a child, so Abram, take my young Egyptian servant named Hagar to be your wife and God will give me a child through her. And Abraham said, say no more. It is done, right? He's not wasting any time. And so, so he goes in with, with Hagar and she conceives and has a child. And then once Hagar realizes that she's pregnant that Abraham is, or, or Sarah is her mistress, and Abraham is, is, is now the father of the child that's in Hagar, Hagar begins to treat Sarai, the scripture says, with content, or to treat her, her, her poorly. And so Sarah comes to Abram and says, look what you did. I put my servant in your arms, and now she is pregnant, and it is all your fault. But wait a minute, whose idea was it? Sarah's. And Abraham, and so Sarah says, uh, you have to choose either, either me or her. God's gonna choose either I'm guilty or you're guilty. And Abraham does what, what every wise husband would do in this point. When a wife's decision um, ends poorly, he says, babe, do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm leaving it in your hands. It's like, you're right. We'll fix it. You take care of it. And so scripture says that, that Sarai began to mistreat Hagar to the point that she ran away. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse 7. It's on the screen. And so Hagar is running away. And it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. The angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. 
And the angel also said, you are now going to be pregnant or you are now pregnant and I will give, and you will give birth to a son and you are to name him what? Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cries of distress and this son of yours will be a wild man. As untamed as a wild donkey, he will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. And I wanna pause just a moment right here and I wanna point back to Genesis chapter 12 and what's taking place here. When, when God called Abram, to leave his homeland, he said that, that I will bless those that what? Bless you, and I will also curse those that treat you with contempt. And so we're seeing here in this moment, God uh, like upholding both of those words because Hagar is in relationship with Abram. He is saying, and it also says this, that, that every family on earth will be blessed through you. And so God is both blessing Hagar, because she is a part of Abram's family, but she's all, he's also upholding the curse that says, I will curse those that treat you with contempt. He's saying, look, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna be the, the mother of many descendants, but the son that you're going to have, he's gonna be a wild man, as wild as a donkey. And Ishmael actually becomes the father of many of the Arabic people who are still at war today with God's people in Israel. A lot of what we're seeing taking place in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas can be traced back to this. So, so we have to know and understand that our actions have lasting consequences, that not just within our life or maybe even our children's lives, but, but there are lasting consequences to some of our actions. And then in verse 13, it says this, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her, and she said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So that the well named Ber Rohoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. She named the well that. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. Now, looking at what has happened to Hagar, she did not ask for this. She was one of the top servants in Sarai's house. Um, and what she thought was actually being chosen out of favor actually put her in a predicament with consequences that she didn't ask for. And the consequences really weren't from her actions because she was not chosen. The consequences were from the actions of, of un, unbelieving and faithlessness of Abram and Sarai. Because 10 years earlier, God had promised Abram that you're going to have a son, but he didn't want to wait on it. So he got in and tried to do it himself, and Sarah tried to make it happen. And so now Hagar is wrestling with the consequences, and she's wanting to run back to where she came from. She wants to go back to Egypt, and, and God finds her in the middle on the way back there. And how many of you know, like, that's where God often finds us? in between where we wanna be and where we don't wanna be, where we're supposed to be and where we're trying to get to. He oftentimes finds us on the road between those two places and, and she has this experience with God and she says that you are the God who sees me, El Roi, El Roi, the God that sees me. Now, as we're looking in the story and we talked about last week, the principle of the first, 
that, that there's some things that we need to pay attention to when there's the, like something happens for the first time. And within this interaction with God, there, there's a few firsts that are taking place, actually more multiple firsts than, than in other areas in scripture. This is the first time that the angel of the Lord, it says that she was met by the angel of the Lord. And, and most scholars are agreeing that when we see the angel of the Lord show up in the Old Testament, that that is pre-incarnate Christ. That, that, that is a... Um, Pre, uh, let me see if I can say this right, a Christophany, right? It's a Christophany where, where, where Christ shows up in his pre-incarnate form for a moment. And so think of this, Hagar is an Egyptian slave and she is the first one that is recorded to experience Christ in his pre-incarnate form. Not Abram, not Moses, but an Egyptian slave. This is the first time that we see God interacting personally with a woman, period. And this is also the first time that we see God naming a child before it's born. Not Isaac, not Seth, not Cain and Abel in the beginning of Genesis, but it is, it is Ishmael that he names. And Ishmael means this, God hears. God hears. And some of us may be in this room today and you have found yourself, whether currently or in the past, you have found yourself in Hagar's shoes, that you've got caught up in someone else's drama, or maybe you've created the drama and you're trying to run away from the drama, you're not where you're supposed to be, trying to get where you wanna be, and God is, is meeting you where you're at. When you think you're at the place where you're unseen, you're unnoticed, you're unheard, just as Hagar, feeling like she's unseen, unheard, God shows up on her way in the middle of her journey and says, no, I see you and I hear you. And when we look at this, that, that he is the God that sees us. He is the God that sees you. He is El Roi. He sees you. Say this, say, he sees me. We live in a world and a culture where everyone is fighting to be seen. And we're fighting to be seen and desiring to be seen by those who know very little about us. And we base a lot of times, especially younger generation coming up behind us, are basing our, um, our confidence, our identity, based on who sees us and what they think about us. And I'm sure Hagar was wrestling with this and said that, that she was a servant, she was an Egyptian. She was just someone that was used in the process. She was a pawn, used in the process of, of, of a couple trying to push forward God's, God's plan. And, and I'm gonna give us some things that, that we pull from this. One is this, is God hears us clearly. God hears us clearly. It says, name your child Ishmael, God hears. What does God hear? It says, the Lord has heard your cries of distress. Other translation says that, that the Lord has heard your misery. There's no description, there is, there, there is no recollection that Hagar had spent any time in prayer. But her cries of misery, her cries of distress were so strong within her that the Lord heard those. And think about you and I, that those of us that, that are walking with Christ, that we do have an entrance into his presence, that we can pray to him how much more he hears our prayers. And not just lightly, but clearly. 
Matter of fact, Psalm 139 says, God, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. And when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, don't go and just babble on and on. Go into your prayer closet, into the secret place where you pray. And then guess what God does? He hears you. And I want you to know, like some of you may be in this room and, and you're praying and you don't feel like God's answering your prayers. He hears you. Psalms 116, it says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayers for mercy. Verse two says this, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. I will pray as long as I have breath. Some of you, your prayers have stopped, but you need to get back in your prayer closet and you need to continue to pray as long as there's breath in your lungs because he hears the misery, he hears the worry, he hears the anxiety, he hears us clearly. God sees us genuinely, genuinely. And what I mean by that, like, like he sees us fully. He sees us completely unhidden. He sees us genuinely. He tells Hagar this. He says, um, I know that you're um, where you're coming from. I know where you're going to. Even though he's asking, he knows this. She says, I've seen the God who sees me, not just seen me, but really, genuinely, fully seen me. And as I was doing the research for this, right, you... When, when you're writing a sermon, you see what everyone else has said and you see how they said it and how you could say it better and, and, and you learn and, and you're reading commentary and you're reading articles and you're reading scriptures. And, and, and when it comes to this point, how God saw Hagar and how he addressed her, there's two camps. There are some guys that are saying that, that, that God called her by her name, Hagar, and returned her dignity because all Abraham and Sarai saw was a servant and a slave because they used her. But then on the other side of the street, there are these guys that are saying that, look, God called her, hey, reminded her, you are Sarah's servant because Hagar had used this gift that was inside of her pridefully to mistreat her mistress. And so some guys say that, that he put her back in her place, like you're just a servant, go back and serve your mistress. Which is it? It's both and. Because we're a mixture of both. We're a mixture of pride and we're a mixture of brokenness. We're a mixture of vulnerability and we're a mixture of woundedness. We're a mixture of bitterness. We're a mixture of it all. And so God doesn't just see the brokenness. He also sees the pride in us, and he addresses both, right? He sees us totally. There is nothing that is hidden from him, and that's also like, that's a blessing, but there's also a consequent to that. And I love this in, in um, Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, and, and when we see Jesus beginning his ministry, and he's with his disciples, and he turns and he looks at the crowd, and he says this about the crowd. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were what? What were they, guys? They were confused and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. God doesn't just see the crowd. He sees the inside. He sees past the crowd. He sees it all. And so when she says, I have seen the God who sees me, 
She is realizing that God has seen her pride, her hurt, her woundedness, her bitterness. And we need to realize that, that we are a mixture of all those things at all times. And God sees it all at all times. And when he, when he hears us clearly, he sees us genuinely. We have to know, we have to understand that he knows us personally that he knows us personally. He said, look, you're pregnant. He, he realized the secret things in Hagar that maybe not many people knew about. We don't know how far along she was. She knew she was pregnant, but, but God knew the secret things in her. God knows the secret things in, in you and I. He knows, and like, he knows the number of hairs on her head, and I always joke, like, I wish he would give me a final count, right? <laughs> so, so I know how much longer I have, and you know, thankfully they turned the lights down on you guys a little bit. And so I was like, do I, do I cut my hair short? Do I keep it long, which works best? But like, like he knows the numbers of hairs on her head. And, and it seems trite and simple, but when one falls out, guess what? He knows it. Scripture says that not a single sparrow falls from the sky that he doesn't take notice. And how much more valuable are you and I to him than what they are? And we look, David, David understood this. He understood this in Psalm 139. And he says in verse 13, you made all the delicate parts, all the inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is so marvelous. How well do I know it? Says you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. He was there before, Jeremiah, he tells Jeremiah, like, I knew you before you were born. That's how well he knew us. Like, it's just funny looking how things have progressed since I first became a dad. Like, we didn't really do gender reveal parties. We put it on MySpace. You guys can't do that now, right? <laughs> you can't put it, we've got one on you on that, right? But now like there's these huge parties that we throw to reveal the genders for the first child. By the third or fourth, <laughs> they're just getting born. <laughs> Be glad that you're here, right? But just think like, like even before we know the gender of the child, God already knows everything about that child. He's known everything about you. He's known the anxieties that you're gonna have. He's known the worries. He's known the strengths. From before you took your first breath, before you were even conceived, it says that, that he knew you. There's freedom and grace in that, guys. We need to understand, like, there is absolutely nothing that we can hide from him. But on the other side, <laughs> there's responsibility and consequences in that there's absolutely nothing that we can hide from him. It says that everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. So there's freedom, but there's also responsibility in walking and surrendering that to him and allowing him to work that out in our life. It's this, it's this word that we call um, omniscience. It's a fancy word that means God hears all, he sees all, and he knows all. And guess what, guys? He still chooses us in the midst of knowing it all. After he hears us, he sees us, he knows us. And what we see here in, in, in Hagar's journey, God directs us perfectly. When we align with him and we surrender with him, his direction is perfect. 
And when he meets Hagar on the road, he doesn't bless her and send her on her way. What does he do? He says, go back where you came. Go back to your mistress and then I will bless you. He instructs her to go back to your master, to your mistress, and not just be there, but he says to submit while you are there. And as you do that, I will bless you. And let me just say this. God doesn't always immediately remove us from our circumstances. That sometimes he allows us to stay in those circumstances or maybe even sends us back, heaven forbid, but God willing, he sends us back to those circumstances, not to save us from it, but to work something out in us during the process. And so Hagar goes back, and it's not for a couple of weeks. It's not for a couple of months. She goes back, and she has Ishmael, and she um, raises him until he's a teenager. And then when he becomes a teenager, God actually allows an open door through Abram and, and Sarah's wish um, to leave, and even then God provides for her. And we know in this life, like there's, Jesus says that in this life you will have what? Many trials, that you will have many struggles, but he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. He doesn't take us out of it, but he leads us through it at times. And that's what he did with Hagar. He leads us through it. And even when she leaves and she finds herself in the wilderness again and she leaves her son Ishmael, like she leaves him under a tree and walks away so she doesn't have to watch him suffer and die, God shows up again and opens her eyes to a well that is there for refreshing. God is always leading and always guiding. And so we're, we're, we're talking about God being the God who sees us, El-Rohi. But there's also a, a name for God in the Old Testament that is very close to El-Rohi. And it is El, I wanna make sure I say this right. It is El-Ra-E, which means the Lord is my shepherd. And he is the shepherd that directs perfectly when we're following his leading and following his guiding, he directs perfectly. He is Jehovah Roe. Everyone say Roe. You gotta roll your tongue so it sounds right. Roe. That he is not just the shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. And I got to thinking about this. Like, like as God leads, we often get caught up on the direction where God's leading us. And God's direction is more about the with who than it is the where to. God's direction, and I didn't really mean for that to rhyme, but that's just kind of like, that's the truth of it, right? We get caught up in the where to. Like, God, where are you sending me? Where am I going? What am I going to do? And God's not as much worried about that as he is about realizing that he is with you. And it says this in Psalm 23, and we know this as, as the shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path. He brings honor to my name, to my name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For it says, you are close beside me. We get concerned about the where to. God's concerned about the with who.
noticing that he is with us. And I say this all the time, it's not the presence of the shadow that makes it the wrong path, but it's the presence of the shepherd that makes it the right path. And, and, and when we look at, at where we're going and, and what many in this church are going through, I want you to know God sees you in it. I want you to know God hears you in it and he knows you in it completely. But if we trust him, he will also direct us through it. And I want to, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I read this like months ago um, is that Abraham and Sarai had a promise from God and they were pursuing that promise. And one of the things as a church planner that I did not realize that I would walk into when I was trying to build the team of, of um, our launch team is, is how many conversations with people with church hurt that I would have. People with bad church experiences that would wanna be a part of the team. And I told several of you no, <laughs> but, but you're just stubborn <laughs> and you wouldn't listen. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. But I got to thinking about this. Sometimes some of the most godly people can do some of the most hurtful things. And, and, and Abraham and Sarah really had no intention of bringing this pain on Hagar. Like, I do not believe that was their intention. God had given them a vision. God had given them a promise. And it wasn't happening in the way, in the timeline, that what they wanted it to. And so they took those that were closest to them, the servants that were helping them, and brought them in, but through manipulation and through pain, damage was done. And so for those of us in this room that maybe have walked through some of that church hurt, here's, here's what I wanna help us do, is to release them, to release them, because if, if, if we don't release them, we're holding ourselves captive and we're preventing God from leading us into the next place. And, and, and I wanna say this to you, God sees you, he hears you, he knows, and he's still directing you. And let's, let's allow God to work compassion in our hearts for those leaders in our lives because we've all experienced it to some degree because guess what? Church leaders are people and we're imperfect and we mean well at times. We just get ahead of God at times. Or maybe we misuse the resources that he's given us at times. And so allow God just to free you of that. And then I wanna to speak to the rest of us in here that, that maybe that's not been your experience, but, but you are a casualty of someone else's decision. What your experience is not anything that you brought on yourself but you're experiencing the, the consequences of someone else's poor decision. Know that God sees you and God is directing you. And, and I, I, I wanna read this in Psalm 139 again. He says that in verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the darkness of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day 
of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out, every single, before any single day had passed in verse 17. And I, and, and I want you guys to hear this. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. God's thoughts about you are precious. We can't even begin to count those thoughts. They outnumber the grains of sand. The thoughts that he thinks about you are precious because he hears you. He sees you. He knows you. And if you're here today and, and you do not have a relationship with Christ because maybe you feel unseen in the church, you've not been unseen by the one who the church is meant to represent. And it's only a relationship with him that salvation can come. And so with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to pray for us as, as, as we close service today. It's kind of a three-part prayer. Um, if you're here today and you're not in relationship with Christ, that is the first step for you to take. And it is simply starting with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. That is surrender, that is submission, that is repentance all in one as you turn from your life to his to give it, um, to, give it to Christ. If that's you today and you need to start a relationship or maybe you're a Christian, you carry the name but you don't have the relationship and you need to come back into and strengthen your relationship with Christ, I wanna pray for you. And if that's you, very quickly, you can put your hand up and put it right back down just so that I know who I'm praying for this week. And if you're in here today, the second part is this. If you're in here today and you've experienced church hurt by leadership or others in the church, as a servant, as a staff member, as a team member, I wanna pray specifically for a healing of your heart and compassion for those that unintentionally maybe wounded us. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up and you can put it right back down. Awesome, awesome. And the last one is this, is maybe you feel just completely unseen by God. If that's you, I wanna pray that God gives you an opportunity to encounter and experience him just as Hagar did in the middle of um, your retreat, in the middle of your hiding that you find him. If you feel unseen, would you lift your hand? Okay. Father, we just come to you this morning. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing us to ourselves. And God, let your word just do the work in our hearts this week, not just something that we hear on a Sunday and we nod our head at or we take some notes in, but God, that, that we allow it to, to form within us the likeness of your son and the character and the nature that you wanna see in us. God, for those in this room that do not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they know that it's as easy, but it's also, it's as simple, but also as difficult of just surrender and saying, Jesus, I give you my life. When there's nothing else to say, it's just a, a word of surrender and, and surrendering their life to you. And Father, for those that in this room that have experienced church hurt at the hands of leadership or 
team members that was unintended, God. I pray that you would just work in our hearts um, just a level of compassion to see them as you see them and realizing that church leaders are imperfect and that we are doing our best at times just to pursue the call that you put on our life and to pursue the promises that you have for us and and realizing that, that, that others are blessed through that. But sometimes we get ahead of you and damage can be done. And so God, I pray for healing of those wounds and compassion in our hearts. And God, for those that feel unseen in this room today, I pray that they would encounter El Roy, um, that you see them, that you knit them together, that you know all the days of the life. Before they were born, you knew them, you saw them. You have a plan, direct them. Only as we surrender and submit to you. And so Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen.